That was amazing. Uh, Daniqua should just come up here and finish the rest of that message. Um, if you're skeptical, it's okay. Uh, Daniqua will convince you later on for prayer call and for further announcements, and maybe I can do a little bit myself. Uh, I'm so excited that you're here uh, on the live stream learning more about nonviolence. You know, two weeks ago, we started the series, Nonviolence, How to Seek Peace and Pursue It at Home, at Work, and on the Streets. We started a journey together when we did that. We're hearing Jesus' plain words, what he actually said about peace and violence and nonviolence, and then listening to the message of what God is saying to us, what they could mean for us in our lives and in our actions. We began by clearing up some misconceptions. I think Daniqua kind of got into that a little bit already. Nonviolence isn't passive. Instead, it's active, it's creative, and it's defiant. That's the work of nonviolence. We continued by looking at how nonviolence names evil. It's something that gives one agency, and it provides an opportunity for other people to actually repent, to turn around, to change. Maybe not by what you do, because maybe you're like, I want to do my nonviolent action from afar. But someday, somehow, it invites them into some kind of change. Wrongdoing isn't swept under the rug with nonviolence, but instead we work with God and others to form a nonviolent response, to stand against evil and to promote peace. Now, this has been uh, a journey, like I said, and I've gotten some feedback from people, and it's been great to be in conversation, how to become a peacemaker. The workshop series we're doing has been fun, but it's a lot, and I'm aware of that. This is a big thing to ask us, like, wait, you're saying, like, nonviolence? Like, nonviolence, nonviolence? Like, really? Like, that's kind of crazy. I want us to take a moment to be with Jesus in what we've learned. Actually, take a breath. Yes, like you, take, take in a breath. Release it out. How have you seen God in Jesus' words and the message of nonviolence? I want you to actually think about that now. How have you seen God for yourself, for your family, for your community in Jesus' message of nonviolence? If you want to, if you're on the chat, you can even write it down. It's a way of being known together. How have you seen God in Jesus' words and the message of nonviolence? And where have you maybe missed God in this message? Perhaps it's a hardship, a struggle, a frustration, something where you're like, I'm trying to like kind of get this and like there's like a thorn or something that keeps popping up and I'm not really able to engage when I think about that thing or when that's really hard for me. Maybe it's been difficult to be with God in it. So actually, if you want to chat that too, you can. It's a way for us just to be together. You know, some people know this is called the examine. You know, where have you seen God in the series, in the words of nonviolence? Where have you missed God? It's okay to name those things. It actually is good to name those things. Again, let's just take a breath. Taking in that we're learning something from God. And it's okay to learn something. Think about all the time when Jesus' disciples were learning on the streets, on the way, on the road. And they didn't get it. Or they didn't like it. Or they had tons of questions. They were allowed to ask. They were allowed to be confused. They were even allowed to be discontent. Right? That was just their lives. They were learning more about Jesus. And sometimes in the church we feel, whether we're new to church or it's uh, something that we've been in for a while, that it's harder to just express honesty about what we're feeling. And I just want to give you a chance, whether it's in your body, with your friend or roommate you're watching with, or even on the chat. Where have you seen God and where have you missed God? Let's continue to ask Jesus for support as we follow him follow his words of peace in the midst of conflict. Now that we know more about what Jesus is calling us to when he calls for us to love our enemies, 
over the next few weeks, we'll go deeper into what that actually looks like and how we can do that at home, at work, and on the streets. The first how that we'll cover today might surprise you. It's the power of ask, the power of making the ask. One of the most famous scenes of nonviolence is something that looks a little different to us. It's the scene of protest. Signs up, feet ready to march, chants of going. Maybe some of you guys were there with the picture you see on your screen of uh, the protest after George Floyd's murder where people took to the streets and actually took the highway. Maybe it's that, ready to be against wrongdoing in a strategic and a dramatic way. But what if I told you that the hope of nonviolence is that those scenes would never have to happen? That a different scene, one of simply asking for what you need, is much preferable. Okay, let me, let me just set the scene like a different way. Like in COVID time, in my life, I'm just going to give you like a Josh Williams translation. It involves my daughter Zoe. I now parent a three-year-old. I was told that there were terrible twos, and I thought kind of like, okay, the pandemic is happening. There's other things that are terrible. The two, like it, the year came, and like it went. She turned three. I was like, that was kind of okay. And then parents told me, oh, no, no, no. That's just like something that like is a marketed thing. Like it's actually the terrible threes. And I was like, no, I panicked. This is, this is bad. I'm kind of scared right now. And things are changing. Like Zoe wants things now. And when she doesn't get them, sometimes she like makes her needs known. I actually, um, yeah, that's a way of describing it. And, and look out when that happens. Zoe's found the power to protest. And her specialty is like a slow whine, something like, Mommy. Daddy. You, you might think that's my daughter, Joy, my one-year-old. No, it, it's Zoe. There's power to this whine, especially when it's repeated. Mommy, mommy. When it gets louder, mommy, mommy. When it happens during a time of transition. A time when we're trying to get out of the house for school. A time when we're trying to actually eat food together. A time when we're basically trying to do anything at all. All of a sudden, mama, the inertia freezes. Gravity slows. Hope is lost. At least that's what's going on in my mind, honestly. Um, Tina's found a different way of dealing with that. I often just kind of copy some of Tina's parenting and then kind of like, oh, this is good. This is helpful. I can like, confidently do this. Tina says, Zoe, you know we don't respond to whining. But if you have something that you need, just ask. Zoe kind of changes her body posture, kind of looks around. She thinks. It's kind of fun when you have a kid that's young. You can actually like, see them thinking. They're sort of like, you know, like, like, as if the thoughts are over there. And then she asks away. If you have a need, if you have something you need, just ask. This is Zoe's new pastime, so she's been shooting her shot. And it's worth sharing her latest successful one. After an episode of Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, you know, the finest TV that we have in our household, um, featuring a pajama party with the Disney characters, she blurted, can we have a pajama party? Thinking on my, my quarantine boredom, the fact that my kids don't really see the light of day after daycare, I said, you know what? Sure. And she said, and pizza? I was like, okay. And can we go camping? And I was like, wait, what kind of camping are we talking about? She's like, Outs-. no, I'm like, no, 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 you didn't learn that from us. You didn't learn that from us. She goes, okay, downstairs, downstairs. So I said, okay, we can do that. This is the power of the ask. And it turns out that three-year-olds are way better at this than grown-ups. And all kids actually excel more than their adult counterparts. If you're watching this, kids, keep modeling that. 
Keep asking because it teaches us adults something really important. It's that the world can change through bold asking. It can be shaped by bold asking. We can learn from you in this. But it's so vulnerable, though. The power of the ask comes with steep cost, humbling ourselves to ask, managing the fear of what happens if people even say yes, but then the request doesn't happen, even if approved, and dealing with the sting of rejection. Just that cold, hard no. Jesus famously, and maybe depending on where you are, frustratingly encourages this way of life. Again, this is from the Sermon on the Mount where we've been drawing a lot of our texts from the series. It's going to be one of a few scriptures we use today. Keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Maybe this is why kids get like this asking life so much more. They trust their parents. Who else will they go to? That relationship is so strong, so formational. Where else would they go? And why would they stop asking, even if it doesn't go their way the first few times? Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. You know, Zoe asked for pizza last night, and we shut it down. Pizza, you know, two nights in a row? That might not happen. But that pajama party with the pizza the first night, that was gold. You can see it here. We're happy. If you're wondering who the other person is, that's Sinclair. He's our house guest. He's, he's there. You know, he's not, he's not one of ours, but he is one of ours. His last name's Williams. We'll, we'll explain it. The other Williams, right? You will receive what you ask for, says Jesus. You will find. The door will be open to you. Of course, this is easier said than done. And maybe it's not even that easy to say. But it is the way. And these words of Jesus have a deep connection to the way of nonviolence. This is the heart of the matter. And I wanted to start here as we unpack this today. The power of the ask. God is good and generous. And he wants to show us that even in a broken world. Can we have the bravery to ask God for what we need, even as the systems of injustice close in on either side? Are we going to let injustice shape the way we interact with God? to have us not even pray, to not say our needs because we're suffocated with what we see instead of trusting in who we believe and responding to his invitation. Let's pray together. God, give us the courage to ask. Give us the courage to see you as our heavenly parent, our loving parent, and give us faith and trust that you respond and maybe even others will as well when we get the courage to ask them too. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Whenever possible, wherever possible, ask before protest. Whenever possible, wherever possible, ask before protest. This is not something you do intuit by looking at the news. It doesn't fit our every few months liturgy of an injustice happening, then people kind of amassing people power, making signs, chanting phrases, and then just going home. And for most of us, not doing anything other than that, either right away or, of course, a few weeks later. 
and then just doing the same thing when the next big issue comes up. If you haven't heard it from me yet, this protest as the ask instead of asking before protest is very different than what Gandhi learned in his time studying Jesus or the Sermon on the Mount. It's very different than what the leaders and regular folk did in the civil rights movement. It's very different than what nonviolent organizations do today. That's because each of the movements, including Jesus' movement himself, it has a little secret to it. Ask first. Before you protest, before you even do creative nonviolence, wherever it is possible, whenever it is possible, ask. Ask for what you feel God is up to. The work of peace, the work of justice, the work of wholeness. Now, something we haven't done in this series, because we're not doing a campaign together, that might be later if God wills that and if we feel the Spirit leading us to that, is look at the six steps of Kingian nonviolence. And we see here, as you can look at it on the screen, this is what you always do. This is the model. It's what you do after you gather information, after you educate yourself and one another, after you make a personal commitment to love. That's really a lot of what we've been talking about, like Jesus' kind of deep commitment to love the other, including the enemy. Then you negotiate. That's where this ask comes in. And this is before direct nonviolence. So already there's tons of steps before you would get to maybe what we would think of as the most common thing of a march or a protest or a rally. Sincere negotiation begins with simply asking for what you want. But this isn't as easy as you think. Asking is vulnerable. Asking is risky. Asking always flirts with rejection. And yet there's a deep connection with not asking and anger and violence. James, an early leader in the church, speaking of peacemaking and then what causes quarrels, says this in his book. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. But what's causing the, the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. It is a good thing to ask God in prayer. When we don't get what we want, we're angry. We're violent. We may justify that anger and violence, but much of it stems from not having what we want. We experience loss and lack, and we get angry over it, even if we never say that to anyone, including God. James breaks it all the way down. What causes your external fights out there? Don't they come from an evil desire at war within you eternally, internally? You want what you don't have, so you scheme with others. You even kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have. You're looking to the left and to the right, but you can't get it. So you fight and you wage war to take things from other people. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Dang, James, what's going on? What if our anger and violence and leaning into James' wisdom is mostly about loss? In, you know, movies and stories of the day, I think many of us have gotten kind of used to this, and it's the third act. You know what I'm talking about? The supervillain reveal, where, like, we get a little flashback where we learn, oh, that's why the supervillain is like that. And it's usually, like, this kind of, like, childhood thing where there's some, like, tr uh, very tragic loss. And we're like, oh, that's 
the backstory like of the supervillain, the same one. Like that's fighting against the heroes. People are like, ooh, see what we did? It's like a little deeper, a little deeper than what you thought. Unfortunately, that villain in the third act with the backstory, that's all of us. What did we lose to become so angry internally in our emotions or externally with our actions? And that thing we lost, can we ask God for it? Or can we ask God for something that will shift our narrative of loss? As we ask God, hold someone or something, please, here. As we ask God, can we also ask others for it? So not just the invisible God with our personal relationship, but like, can we ask other human beings? People that God prompts us to communicate with. This is incredibly raw and hard stuff, and yet it seems like it will fortify some personal commitments. Here, we might have a shot at living a life that simply doesn't just value peace, like applaud peace, but actually has peace. It's one thing to, to value it, to say that it's good. It's another thing to live a life that has peace in it. This place of vulnerability is where we'll spend the rest of our time together. Why don't we ask God for what we need and ask for others and ask others for what we need? And if we're open to any of that, how can we start doing that? Remember, right before the section on quarreling and fighting, James says this, and those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and will reap a harvest of righteousness. I believe that our peacemaking gets strengthened. We live a robust life of asking God for what we need even asking others for what we need. I want to look at our three contexts as we move on from here. Our context of home, of work, and on the streets as we think about the power of the ask. First, let's look at the home of our interior life with God. We'll do our home in terms of roommates and family, but let's just look at the home of our interior life with God first. Earlier in our text from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that a life of asking your heavenly Father for good gifts is the way. It's the way forward. It's what we do. So keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. But it's easy to let injustice, to let disappointment and bitterness slow down these active invitations from Jesus. We can tell a different story than Jesus. God's too busy for me. He's working on bigger things as our life with God erodes and grows stale. We can even challenge the, the nature of God and say that he's not really involved in humanity. It's, it's up to us to make changes happen. Or maybe some of us, we prefer this. Uh, we protect God's reputation, of course, right? And we don't ask for anything because of fear of what would happen if people knew, if we knew, if you knew, that God doesn't really deliver on his word. So we don't let our needs be known. We don't ask. God, you'll be a great general God. Uh, kind of a, just generally, you're good but not specifically, and certainly not specifically to me. So we don't ask. It's so easy, so easy to give up on a good God being involved in our lives. It's so easy to accept loss as our life. There are so many well-packaged reasons that seem fine, even common sense. But James here ties that together with another narrative that should shock us and wake us up, which is that path leads to anger and violence, jealousy and contempt. What if our first step to becoming a peacemaker is committing to ask God for what we need instead of warring with others internally or externally? A simple pre-made commitment like we like to talk about at ECV. If we have a need, we'll go to God with that need in prayer. If that need is not meant, we don't simply keep asking. We, we can't keep asking, but we don't simply do that. 
we talk with God. Is God responding to us? We might not feel an answer to our prayer, but is God responding? Even if we don't see that answer or see that provision. And does God's response spark peace, communion, relationship in our hearts? Sometime during this pandemic, you know, I don't know when it was or when it started. Again, it's the pandemic, right? Just what are dates? I started something called writing down my SPRs, my specific prayer request. You know, not just, God, give me a good day. And then our car breaks down, we get hurt, like something happens to a relative. And we're like, you know what? The sun was up today. Thanks, God. No, that, that's great. And I actually, I shouldn't mind because I, I want that spirituality. I really do. But I'm not talking about that. Uh, and you guys, you guys know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about specific prayer requests that have some teeth. I want a specific encouragement, God, from you or from someone else today in this area of insecurity in my life, the thing I'm struggling with right now. I pray, God, that I'd be able to get into this nonviolence workshop that I just found out about that closed its registration two days ago. I'm glad God answered that prayer last spring. God, I pray that this person who's struggling would have at least one more person to talk to and that I could actually talk with that other person. We could support each other as we support this other person. And I need that this week, God. I try to do my SPRs almost every day. Writing them down is my prayer. Just want to read that again. Writing them down is my prayer. I don't take one and pray at this point in my life for like hours or honestly even dozens of minutes. I just don't. It's just not where I am right now. But what I, and I don't return back to them usually for like more fervent prayer. I just write them down. That is the prayer. And then what I do is I go back to the other days and I say, what has God done? That's what I do with my time. I see, what has God done? Have they happened or not? This posture of childlike dependence and honestly the practical nature of it and the fact that, guys, it's easy. It's helped me so much. Things happen or not. But I'm always asking and usually always seeing at least one thing, maybe every week, that's pretty surprising and encouraging. And I try not to let failures, and there have been some heartbreaking ones, praying that all three of my grandparents would be able to get through COVID to see joy. Didn't happen. But don't let it stop you from praying. And I tried not to let that stop me from praying, and it, it didn't. Because God met me in that prayer. I was able to come to him, even with more sadness, to grieve. I do it almost like exercising a muscle. And I've been so deeply encouraged by God. It's one of the things in my last year in the pandemic that just encouraged me almost every day. And part of what's happened in doing my SPRs is they've helped me see flight or fight situations like we talked about last week as having another option. Instead of flight or fight, face in prayer. This kind of de uh, dependence removes some of my armor. It removes some of my defenses. And it makes me hold my losses differently. I'm not always praying for my loss not to happen or to be reversed, but I'm asking God for help and how to get through the loss. And I'm not asking just a distant God to do that, but my heavenly Father. In a lockdown, in a quarantine, in isolation, and in darkness, with so many losses, this activity has given me a fresh way to show up to God. When you encounter losses, don't simply get angry by yourself. Don't simply grow violent towards others. Go to God. And ask for what you need, not just to reverse your loss, but what do you need to show up full self in your loss? For some people, the challenge of being real with God and asking him for what we need will be the hardest step. And for others, it's going to be talking to another human being. 
we kind of all are different and we're wired differently. Is it more frustrating to talk to a sky invisible God that we can't see or to talk to a person, flesh and blood in front of us? You'll have to see where you are on that. But both are good invitations from God. They both put us in a place of dependence and it gives power to us as we kind of use our agency and our dignity that way. But I know for some people, asking another person is a step too far. They can accept or reject. It just feels different. But it's good to do. Truthfully, the passage we've looked at today have been about our relationship with God. But I think you can use a lot of that wisdom to think about our relationship with others. And actually, there's a story that's so good, I just got to tell it, about a, a prophet named Nehemiah that actually has a pattern of how he does this. He asks God, and then he asks the king. Uh, not the king of his own land, of his own home country, but a foreign king. And he does this each time. Like, he asks something. He, he wants something. And if you read the book, it's just it's over and over again. We'll just look at the first example just to see how this is. Nehemiah's written in first person, so it kind of has a freshness to it. Here's what it says. Now, I had never been sad in the presence of the king before. So the king said to me, why is your face sad since you were not sick? This can only be sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad? When the, whole, when the city, the place of my ancestors' graves, lies waste and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Okay, Nehemiah, tell him what you really feel. Then the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor with you, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my ancestors' graves, so that I may rebuild it. Nehemiah is real before the king. He's sad before the king. And the king, see what happens? He gets curious because Nehemiah was authentic. He was real. He was only the cupbearer, but he decided to say, I'm going to actually show my feelings today. And the king then asks what he wants. And Nehemiah says the request of his heart. The chapter before, he says he's just mourning and grieving the status of the walls. And he says, can I please rebuild the walls? Taking time off being this cupbearer. And the king says, yes. This is vulnerable stuff to ask people with power for what you want. Why posture yourself like this? Why take the risk? Well, when there's real sadness in your heart, it's just usually a matter of time before that anger comes out as some kind of violence that damages, degrades, or destroys. Whether it's gossip or bitterness, anger or actual violence, asking for what we want is a great way to begin the peacemaking process. If you get it, then peace can be celebrated, not just with you, but with the other person. And if not, then you give an opportunity for peace and you can begin contemplating other options to love the other, including the enemy. We're going to talk more about that next week. But let me speak to uh, the home part of this, not just home of our souls or our hearts, but the home, kind of like your relational world, before offering a word about work. So, you know, you watching right now, yes, you, like you and maybe you're with a roommate or maybe you're with a spouse or a child or a parent, you guys, like look at each other, just real quick, no. Each other, please, for me. What if you looked at each other right now and asked for something that you want that counters a loss that you've been experiencing, maybe even with one another in these kind of home relationships? Did you just get maybe that like run through the body icky feeling of, oh, this is going to be kind of vulnerable? Or maybe an excitement that, wait, what if this kind of worked? Like, this would be cool. Do you simply need to be listened to for 20 minutes? No interruption? Do you need your spouse to watch the kids for part of the day? Do you need an apology? Do you need to do just something fun and to have a partner in crime with that? What do you need? And why aren't you asking? And by not asking, are you letting something fester or grow? Okay, you can look back at me. 
Sorry, sorry if that was awkward, if you need to have a conversation after this, but it's kind of a sorry, not sorry. I think it's going to be probably good for y'all. But my biggest argument against all this is they should know. Like, Tina should, I mean, they should know that I need help, you know? Patrick should know what I'm up against. Daniqua should know that when she does that email joke and says my email, that people actually send me angry emails for that. Just, just joking. So because we think they should know, we, we wait for people to be mind readers. Well, I'll just wait until we stay waiting. We do this with God, too, who somehow actually can read our minds. And yet there's a power in the ask, in the vulnerability, in the dependence. Can we bring our losses to someone else and ask for what we need? This is hard with God. It's hard with loved ones and friends. And it's hard because we're actually being honest and saying, actually, I'm going to let you go off of this thing. You don't have to be a mind reader anymore. I'm just going to say with my own agency what I need. Instead of letting violence grow in my heart because of that email that may or may not have been read, because of that thing that someone did or didn't hear, I'm just going to ask you again. Can I present it to you one more time? That's vulnerable work. But guess what? You're being a peacemaker because you're not letting a misread email. You're not letting a thing that you may or may not, you're not letting those be daggers and violence to you. You're saying, hey, I'm kind of confused about this. Can I just bring this up? That's actually okay to do. It's actually really good and healthy to do. It's the life of a peacemaker. And it's hard to do, not just at home, not just with God, because these things are hard, guys. But it's hard to do at work, too, in places where there's a real, actual difference in power. Uh, You know, I've been in the vineyard for about 12, 13 years. And probably six years ago, getting just a teensy bit frustrated. Tina can ask if that teensy is accurate or not. Uh, maybe some other, my quick, my close friends. But I was seeing the, the vineyard always promote kind of this like rhetoric of diversity, specifically ethnic diversity, racial diversity. And then I would check, you know, the summer conferences and the program, like, where it at though? Where it at? <laughs> and so one time there was a regional conference coming up and I looked again at the workshops that were proposed. Nothing. Nothing. Nada. And I, I got this feeling again, this is so frustrating. This is even kind of like embarrassing. People kind of like, people don't really know me, but people kind of know me. I'm kind of a co-pastor at this place. Like maybe they would think, okay, that's prideful. Let me stop from that. But then I saw this person's email. I didn't know him. I just knew that he had power to kind of arrange his conference, do this workshop. There were ECVers on the list. So people were asked. It wasn't like they didn't know about our church. And I said, let me just send this guy an email. I did. I'm like, hey, seems like you might need a workshop on ethnic diversity, racial justice, the multi-ethnic church. If you want, I can do this, right? That, that would have been humiliating if it was like, no, we don't. But they said, yeah, we do. I said, thank you, Jesus. Moved about my day. Praise God for an opening for favor, right? I saw something. I was getting angry internally. Tina can tell you. Some of my friends can tell you. And I was like, this anger doesn't feel good. I don't want to let it fester. That's me kind of absorbing the violence and doing some myself. I'm going to just ask for what I want. I'm going to take the agency and ask the person. And again, they could say no. Zoe didn't have pizza two times in a row. She didn't. But we can still ask. And there's a power in the asking. Last thing, home, work, streets. As I said earlier, Kingian nonviolence promotes asking and negotiation before protests wherever possible. And as we can see, there's so much in formation here. There's so much in a heart posture here. And that's part of why they say just ask first. You can align with a challenge. Uh, you, can, you can see how you can ask before you get on the streets. And we ask as we ready for other forms of creative nonviolence. It's not like you ask and like don't plan. You ask and plan, 
right? Like you ask and stay ready for them to say no. Like that's okay. That's actually even encouraged in this world. But asking really can be effective in these movements. Sitting down with your enemy and asking for what you want is a very generous, winsome, and possibly effective way to start any campaign for justice and change. And also just to be an authentic human being that's letting God basically have you won over to this cause of peace. Last scripture for today. Jesus tells a strange story about the power of asking. It's in Luke 18. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time, he refused. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. I guess he didn't know that she was nonviolent. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Once again, we get a uh, recommendation from Jesus to pray and to pray for what we need, to even pray for justice. And sometimes in the scriptures in the New Testament, we see this word righteousness. And people sometimes say, oh, that should be a justice translation, like right relationship. Here, justice actually is a Greek word that means something more like vengeance or vindication, like justice in the end. This is that kind of like heavy justice, the kind of like you're going to get what you deserve justice, right? Someone just slapped their phone on the ground and said, yes, amen to that. Jesus uses this example of a judge to contrast the character of God. Right? If an unjust judge will do it, then how much will God do it? In the example, Jesus playfully says that this unjust judge will relent. And it turns out that happens outside of the parable too, in real life. Tina reminded me of this story from 10 years ago, this bill, Arizona SB 1070. If you know it, it was basically, if you look like an immigrant, you're going to get stopped. Kind of like this very harsh supercharged up uh, stop and frisk. If you look like an immigrant here, you're going to get stopped and basically where your paper's at. And people said, this is basically blatant racism. It's clear racism. And the community, not just the Latino community, but people that were uh, sensitive, cared about immigration, cared about people said, this doesn't make sense. They said, what's our move going to be? And their first step that they did was actually prayer. They said, what we're going to do, everything we do is going to be a prayer vigil or a prayer rally. That's how we're going to respond because this is about the image of God and the sacredness of that image in it being disrespected. And you know what happened? They actually lost. The bill got passed. But then part of what they did, this kind of outcry of prayer, raised like a national movement against this bill. Like people were like, this, this can't happen. This doesn't, this doesn't work. And you know what people did in the local movement in Arizona? Is they actually would go up to people, like lawmakers, people with power, and they said, hey, can I just pray for you right now? I just want to pray for you to have compassion uh, because this law is unjust. And I just want to pray for you. Is that okay? And they prayed for people. They just went up personally to people and asked, even as they were doing this campaign of asking God in prayer. And you know what happened? The worst parts of the bill got struck down. And the whole thing kind of like slowly fell apart. And people looking back on it, especially when they were trying to understand that initial experience of failure, why didn't this work originally? They were like, wait, I think, honestly, the thing that held this all together was prayer. The fact that we actually prayed to God, like did prayer vigils, and somehow there was like a sound that went out in the nation. Like people knew about this. Before it even kind of got these legal challenges, it was known because they said, let's just keep praying. Let's keep crying out to God. And as they even asked individual people who were super vulnerable, the people that might have designed the law, the people might have been, I'm for it, saying, can I pray for you to have compassion right now? They saw the nation uh, respond to this. 
And they saw that this law actually got struck down. At home, at work, at on, and on the streets, asking for what you need, asking for what you want. Guys, there's some good news and some bad news here, and it's the same. Asking God and others is vulnerable, and it's effective. It changes us. It gives us more nonviolent options, and it really can and does change situations like the one I named. There's so many other stories I could have told you about on the streets, honestly. Well, maybe if you come to the workshop, I'll tell you more. They're so cool. They're so encouraging that people pray, and these unjust judges of the day say, I, this is one quote from another story, I hate your prayer, but I'm going to give you what you want. Prayer changes things, apparently. But it's not a science. We will face rejection, and we will be disappointed, at times massively so, even in heartbreaking ways, because we're, we're giving everything of ourselves and saying, God, would you hear us? Person, I'm asking you this. It's vulnerable, but it's not the end. Because we know even if some people reject our ask, there's still a call to resist. There's still more God has for us. We'll talk about more of that in the coming weeks. And what we can know from this message is there's more in terms of us relating to God, even with that loss fresh on our mind and seeing what God does to be with us. But it's such a helpful way to know God, to be like a child, to be dependent on God, to be dependent with other people, our spouses, our roommates, our parents, our children, our bosses and coworkers, even the power brokers on the streets, even enemies. This is a vulnerable way, but it's beautiful. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Since we have not because we ask not, let's name our losses, bring them to God, and ask for what we need, for justice, for wholeness, and for peace. Here are our invitations for today. Name losses and bring them to God. Name your losses. Where does it feel like you have a loss? Where do you feel that anger? Where do you feel that violence? Write it down. Bring it to God in prayer. Start a new prayer practice of asking God first. Try specific prayer requests, SPRs. Maybe it's something else for you, a different way of praying for specific things in your life. And ask someone for something this week. Identify a loss and request what you need, maybe even in that very same relationship. It's tough work. I'm not going to lie and say it's not tough. It's tough. But it's so authentic and it's so real. And Jesus will show up and meet you. Pray beforehand if you're able. Ask God for favor. As we transition, we're just going to respond in a few different ways. One of them is going to be communion, which Danique will tell you about. I just want to give two simple uh, kind of invitations to respond. The first is just an invitation of this heavenly father, this loving parent, is someone that you want to know more intimately. That's something that you want to uh, kind of just... uh, know in a a more personal way. If you're like, I kind of like this prayer thing, but it seems like it's still distant. There's an invitation for you to know Jesus. And that's something that we at ECV would love you to do, to take a step. This is an ask for me. It's vulnerable for me. But to say, hey, that's you. If you want to make that kind of commitment or relationship, just lean in. God's with you. You can do that. You can come down to 425 College Street. You can come on the Zoom prayer call. You can email me at josh at elmcityvineyard.org, like Daniqua likes to say. All that's okay. It's actually great. Uh, Just get curious about what that could mean for you to have God be your heavenly father. And also, just invitation as we worship together, that we're actually saying God is good and God is up there and, and amazing, but we're also saying, God, you're big enough for my real life. You're big enough for my actual situations. Because you're good, I want to ask you, God, would you help me? I'm going to turn it over to Daniqua for communion. But I pray, God, that you be with us in this room right now.